Welcome to Terminal Talk, the podcast about mainframe and mainframe-related topics. And today, we have Laura Sperling, who's an advisory programmer and does level two support. Hi. That about right? Seems about right. Okay. (laughs) So, uh, level two support, does that like mean you're on the second floor or? So, level two support is... Uh, defect support for the uh, for for ZOS for for the mainframe, uh, and in order to talk about what we do, I think we'd have to back up a little bit and talk really quickly about the software development life cycle. So before a uh, before a piece of code ever gets to the field, first there's a development team that has to write it, mm-hmm. and then it goes through multiple levels of testing. And at each step of the way during testing, bugs could be found. And that's how we want it, right? We want yep. the bugs to be found before they get to the customer. There's always cases where uh, either either due to very unique circumstances like timing windows uh, or use of the product in ways that we didn't expect that bugs end up getting out to the Customer, I'm, I'm shocked that we don't write bug-free code. <laughs> I know we've been doing this a long time. Yeah. It should just automatically. In fact, the machines should write the code themselves. What's that? Uh, IEFBR 14, 14. 14. The code the that does nothing. Do they found a bug in it like five <laughs> years ago or something. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, if if that didn't happen, we wouldn't have our jobs in support. That's one way of looking at it. Yeah. So I, <laughs> not that it's good, but <laughs> so so when when bugs do get out to the field. Customers come back and report them to us, and they would either report them by calling in to IBM, in which case they would end up with level one support, who is, uh, they act as a router, basically, for all the symptoms that are coming into them from the customer, and based on those symptoms, they would determine which ZOS component would be the best uh, adapted to figuring out root cause of the problem. Now, that's one way that they can get into us, uh, that customers can get to us. But the other way is to directly open up an electronic record to us. Uh, we call that a PMR, uh, Problem Management Record. Okay. Um, <laughs> sometimes Good. we Before call it an ECR, <laughs> an electronic record. Uh, but either way... Frank that- has a lot of vinyl records. <laughs> <laughs> you say it like it's a bad thing. So, so either way, a call gets to us uh, we we are we as level two are the the component specific support that would be dealing with bugs that generally have symptoms that fit our you know our component we we start with it uh, and if during our diagnosis it seems that another component might might be involved we would we would go and invoke uh, and collaborate with that level two group as well so so basically, you can think of each component as having their own specific level two team. That's the expert in that component. And I, as, as you could imagine, components don't work in a vacuum. So we're always collaborating with other level two teams. Now, you might want to know if there's also a level three. <laughs> and yes, there is. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's good. So there, there is a level. It's IBM. Th- it could be two plus plus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as far as I know, level three is the highest it goes. But it doesn't mean that you're getting that each time you go from one level to the next that you're getting better support, right? right. You're just getting different support uh, because we're, we're we're we all have our different roles, right? So level one is basically for routing. Level two is for uh, diagnosis and getting down to root cause. And level three 
is development's other role, which is which is what they call themselves when they're fixing bugs. Okay, so so level one is more or less let's listen to the customer, find out where we should send this. Level two is they have they're the subject matter experts; they can dive into it. And level three. If code needs to be changed or a fix needs to be created, that's where that's going to happen. Yes. Does level one ever just say, like, can you try unplugging it and plugging it back in? Or <laughs> Turn it off, wait five seconds. Yeah. Our, our level one support is actually very skilled in, in having the broad, uh, okay. you know, the broad skill. So by uh, the time it gets to you, you know it's not just somebody who's, like, typing on a keyboard that's not plugged in. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay. We we never get that kind of that kind of uh, problem. Right. Stop letting your dog touch the. Uh... <laughs> However, in level two, we we do get I uh, we uh, our problems do end up running the gamut from user error to true code defect, and we have to figure out which one that that is. You know, each time. Oh, because sometimes the defect isn't necessarily code, but it's not spelled out that way in the documentation. Yes, sometimes the defect is with the documentation and not being clear enough as to how to use it. And there are even cases where where a customer might be using a product in a way that wasn't either wasn't intended or wasn't anticipated. Mm-hmm. And if a customer can can use a product in that way and isn't specifically prevented from it and in doing so encounters a system abend or a system error, then then that's still technically a problem that needs to be addressed right. because a a user should not have access to i uh, you know cause a system component to abend or terminate so uh you you said that these level 2 groups are tied to specific components so what components are you connected with i i am actually part of multiple components my main ones are zos unix ICSF, which is crypto, and SSL. Do you have three phones on your desk? And <laughs> I have one phone, but it calls many customers. <laughs> okay, good answer. Good answer. So, so a customer has has an oopsie, um, oopsie. and they they call. They talk to level one. They put you. They put them in touch with you. Um, what what is like the typical life cycle of a of a problem happening and and hopefully getting solved at the end? Give it a good a good ending. Sure. <laughs> so. So in level two, we work on queues. So each level two group has a queue associated with us that we pull work from. So when a either when a customer comes directly to us or through level one to get to us, it results in an electronic record being created on our queue that doesn't have an owner. And within our team, we look at all the new calls that are coming in and determine who's going to work on that next one. So once we've decided that I'm going to own this new call that came in, I'll look at the initial symptoms that the customer has has given us and any supporting documentation that they've provided to us. Perhaps they say if they do step one, two, and three, they get the ab end, or they don't know what they did, but the system took a dump, and here it is, figure out what to do with it. So I figure out how far I can get with the information they've provided and the documentation that they've collected, and if I can't get far enough with that, I go back to the customer. And, of course, along the way, I'm talking to the customer as well to mm-hmm. to uh, keep them updated on my progress and vice versa, see, make sure that their problem isn't getting worse over there as I'm taking time to solve it. I, and I end up using that data that they give me to figure out what, what the root cause is. And now <laughs> this data has a lot of different forms. Some of it is human-readable, in, in its normal form, 
right? So so there's things like system logs that you can look at uh, that are, I guess, debatably readable, right. where, where you see what time a problem happened, and you go back from there to try to figure out the history leading up to the time of the problem. And along with that, we get these things called dumps, which for those that are not familiar, I know a lot of people just kind of laugh when they hear that we're <laughs> digging into dumps it's, all the time. It's still funny. It's it still is. funny. <laughs> I know. I've been working for... Over 14 years here and still, <laughs> still funny to us, too. So, so what these things are are a snapshot in time of hopefully a problem, right? I, you're, you're either collecting one of these from, from your system either when a problem has been I, found, so the system would automatically take one of these at that time with a snapshot of, of all of the storage that was in use and the code that was running at the time of the problem, or if you're having some sort of ongoing problem, uh, such as an application that's hung, I, you can manually request one of these to be taken uh, and then go back through it. <laughs> this is still kind of silly to talk about, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you can ask for somebody to take a dump yeah, 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 yeah. that you can then look go my logs. look at. <laughs> look through logs. You got it. <laughs> This is my life. <laughs> it doesn't help that we're both like 12. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think we're being very good. I yeah. haven't laughed out loud much. <laughs> so so no matter how this, this dump is, is created, there are techniques that we use to look at the tasks that are running at, at a point in time and, and see exactly which code flows they're going through at that point in time and and work our way back to what might have caused these symptoms that that are being reported um, so, so the dump has here's what the memory looked like at the time that the dump was taken right i know it's hard uh it tells you kind of what instructions were um being executed at the same time yes it's it's actually all just hexadecimal data so none of it is readable as is but unless you're Nadine. Unless you're Nadine, even <laughs> even so, <laughs> even so, uh, we use we use a tool called IPCS to uh, to bring up this raw dump and and to be able to make queries on it. So a lot of times in level two, we will be just kind of eyeballing raw hex data and saying, "Oh, this looks like a string. That looks like code. This shouldn't be here." Just by looking at the hex data, but there's also queries that you can make against the I. Uh, the contents of the dump itself to make readable output. And part of that readable output would be uh, the the specific task that you're interested in, the one that caused the problem to happen, and then all of the kind of environmental data that was saved along the way uh, that creates footprints for you. It gives uh, you context. Yeah, right. to give you context for where you've been um, as opposed to where you are right now and how you got there and what data you were working with along the way. So in a lot of ways, we, we, do, we do really detailed detective work on, on the system to try to pull out little pieces of data wherever we can to, to make our own complete picture of it. We should have gotten like a detective hat and, and glass for, for her picture. <laughs> oh, yeah. That would have been good. Would have been good. But, but it sounds like it's a lot of work and stuff like that, but... Um, we don't typically work with clients who would be very happy if we said, yeah, that sounds like something that shouldn't have happened. I don't know. 
Yeah, yeah, so you're you're absolutely right. So so once we do get to the the point of of a failure, I uh, you know sorry the point of root cause, then we would determine whether that root cause was based on a user error or or a code defect. And once there is a code defect, then we open something called an APAR, which is a uh, like a document that tells you what the bug was and some symptoms of it so that customers can then uh, search and review these when they have similar sounding symptoms. And hopefully they could, they could then prevent from having to open up a new record to us. They would just put on the maintenance themselves if, if they thought that it was a match. But the APAR itself doesn't have any maintenance associated with it at that point. Um, at the point in time that the APAR is created, it does not. Okay. It would just be the, the symptoms that were reported. And then uh, this is when we would pass it off to level three. Okay. And level three would determine uh, how to fix that, that defect that we found. And as part of that, they might make an initial fix, which we call a plus plus APAR, that could be sent to the customer that was experiencing the problem, especially if they could reproduce it at the customer site. And so development would send the plus plus APAR to them so that they could verify that it fixed what it was supposed to. And then along with the customer testing the fix, of course, our internal test groups would also be testing it. And at a certain point, I, development would be confident that this is the fix for this problem based on the levels of testing that had been found. And they would create a PTF which would be the actual piece of maintenance that would be associated with the defect. And is a PTF specific to um, a machine type or an operating system level? Or if something, if a, if a defect is found, it's like, oh, wow, this will affect everybody. This is just the first customer to find it. Does it get rolled out for, for everybody? That is part of the understanding of root cause. Okay. Is, is whether it it's only happening at one particular ZOS release or, or one release of the component or whether I, whether it maybe goes back 20 years and this oh. is just the first time that it was found because timing processors window. run so much faster now than they used to and very, very small timing windows are still being found. Does that happen often? Yes. Oh, really? Yeah. I, in level two, a lot of times we say that all the easy problems are have already been fixed and now <laughs> the majority of what we're dealing with are teeny tiny timing windows. So would you say then that you're uh, better than your predecessors because you've had to deal with more difficult problems and they're just wimps because they had the easy ones? Oh, no. <laughs> that's what I hear. That's, that's, what, I hear. that's what I That's not what I'm saying at that's all. That's what I took that as. <laughs> yeah. No, no we, we, definitely, we definitely have a lot more complex issues, but I, I, think, I think part of it from way back when till now is – quantity, sheer quantity, too, because uh, I, I believe, you know, as, as, a, as a component matures, there, there are fewer bugs found in general, whereas when the product is new, you're just overwhelmed with lots of calls, regardless of how difficult um, each, each one specifically is. So you said you've been doing this for, like, 15 years. Uh, can you look at a dump? for some set of problems and go, oh, I know what this is? Or do you, do you start to recognize some of the the patterns in those dumps? In a sense, yes. 
every problem is different. Uh, so in my components, there really is very sm- there's really not rediscovery, uh, which would mean that mm-hmm. the same same problem keeps getting given to us right well, over and that's over. That's good, right? That's I mean, good. <laughs> <laughs> that also means that our customers are applying maintenance in a uh, in a a pretty orderly fashion, um, in a pretty timely manner, which which is also good. Uh, there's lots of different maintenance strategies that customers could could go with, but in in general, there's there's not much rediscovery going on. So so while while every problem is different, uh, you start you start to be able to have a your own pattern for diagnosing certain types of problems. So you always start a particular kind of ABIN diagnosis the same, but at a certain point in every problem, you're on your own, right? <laughs> so, so I, and, and not in a, not in a bad way. I, we're, we're very team oriented. So, so right. once, once you end up, once you end up at a point where you are where you've never been before, which happens all the time, you're in code you've never looked at, or I, or it's interacting with other code that you, it, you've ruled out lupus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so you you just have to kind of go with your gut as to different theories that you think might be happening and it seems like the best di- the best uh, debuggers tend to tend to get to that point quickly where they can they can get to a point where they where they they can throw out a couple theories so that they can then go and you know you know based on data right, right? um where then they can they can try to rule them out yeah, right? cuz the customer doesn't want to sit there and say, "Oh, try this, now try this." Oh, absolutely not. And I uh, so so it's it's important to make lots of good educated theories based on where the data is leading you, uh, and then either either go further with it or rule it out so that you can just move on to the next one. But it it takes a good understanding of where that task has been leading up to this point and 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 then your understanding of where it could have gone and where things could have gone wrong. Right. Um, because just the other day I was working on an ab end that that was basically the victim of another ab end. Right. And this happens a lot. Uh, so so you can't look at even your own problem in a vacuum on the system. You have uh-huh. to see what else might have been going on preceding it, maybe from a different task in a different address space doing a completely different thing. And if he failed, and, or or I, maybe if he overlaid some important piece of uh, code or data on his way down, um, then, then all of a sudden your task trips over it uh, and then maybe takes his own wrong turn as as a result. So so you can tell things can get quite complex pretty quickly and so our brains are always kind of going in a million different directions <laughs> at once. <laughs> That's pretty cool because it it's a kind of this cascading thing and and you have to have an inkling of this doesn't look like it's just me, right? It's it's probably those guys over there too. So it's kind of cool in that you're you're kind of a detective along a path but you you have to get other guys looking at their path. There might be somebody making it with a, a second pair of shoes, drawing a, yeah. <laughs> making footprints yeah, over exactly. there. <laughs> These shoes, These shoes are very good. So so at that point, once once PTS get created, um, does that get rolled into the official product cycle eventually, where a customer wouldn't have to worry about what PTFs they need? 
Yes. Any anytime a PTF is created, it's automatically rolled into the base of the next release of the operating system or the component that yeah. hasn't gone out yet. But in if the, any. But in the meantime, the that APAR gets updated with those PTF numbers. Mm-hmm. So it's not like on the internet where you're searching for a problem and you find a forum somewhere and the last post of somebody saying, Oh, never mind, I solved it. And then that's like six years ago. Yeah, yeah. We we try not to uh, we try not to leave people hanging. Yeah. Especially since that next problem could come back into us again, and we need to be able to answer it the next time. Oh yeah. So so in case so so there, the cases where it ends up in in an APAR, those are pretty clear cut. Those those are well documented bugs with hopefully solutions. I. Uh, attached to them, right? right. The, the less clear-cut ones are the user errors, uh, and in those cases, we try, to, we try to make sure that the next person doesn't have the same user error. So in addition to having, having diagnosed to the point of user error, there's a couple things we still have to do. We still have to say, should this user error have been allowed to happen? Um, was our doc clear enough to say how we should have used this product? And number two, uh, when the error happened as a result of the user error, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I think that just went That's like error reception. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so if it is a user error and it's not causing actual impact to the system overall, then you would expect the user to be able to take whatever is coming back and being externalized to them so that they can look it up themselves in the book and figure out what they did wrong and fix it. And if that didn't happen, then, then that's a call to us that could have been avoided. So we should figure out, we figure out in level two what could have been improved to to make sure that they don't have to come to us the next time. You look at a set of problems, or you look at a problem, and you say, okay, this is uh, the code is working the way it's supposed to. The problem is the documentation. So I go off to the documentation people and say, um, here's what we want you to change this to. Or I mean, how? How much of that writing do you guys do, and how much do they do? We do the general wording, but then the the official wording is usually a collaboration between us, level three or development, and the the people that write the manuals. Yeah, because the developers are are probably not as focused on the way the um, the documentation should read, just how it functionally should work, right? You're you're kind of in the middle if you think about it, right? Between the the people who who write and want it to be clear, and the people who just kind of understand the function. Yeah, right. we we have kind of an extra role to be the customer's advocate throughout this whole process hmm. because the customer has our ear to tell us what they like and don't like about our product, as well as what's working and what's not working. And generally, we're talking to them when things are not working, right? So you mean they don't call just to say everything's great? Not usually. You know. <laughs> Laura, we haven't talked to you in a while. <laughs> just wanted to say hi. Yeah, usually at one o'clock in the morning, they just call me to tell me all's well. That last <laughs> fix was great. I just wanted to let you know. You know, we appreciate you. Yeah. So, so since they're telling us this stuff directly, uh, we need to be their advocate uh, in. And like I said, in looking at the documentation and also in understanding uh, that the fix that's being created by Level 3 is is truly fixing the problem that they reported in a way that they would want it to fix it, as opposed to 
let's say let's say they they said oh this isn't quite working right and the answer was just like well we're just going to stop letting them right. do this anymore right because if this was something that was necessary for their company for whatever they need to be doing then we don't want to just say the answers to yeah, not let come them back do and it say, anymore you shouldn't do that yeah, yeah don't do that yeah, yeah. My, my hurt, frank it hurts when i do <laughs> do this with my arm yeah don't do that anymore. no yeah. well, thank you doctor <laughs> yeah or i just did this one little command and it took my whole system down like oh don't do that it's like yeah. no we should we, you can type anything but that yeah, <laughs> I just did an uh, RM dash R splat, and everything went away. Yeah, and we we also, of course, have cases where we we can't solve it the first time around with the doc that was collected. So, so when a customer comes into us and gives us all the documentation that they could get from this error, and it still turns out to not be enough to get to the end of the problem, I especially if it was a a really big impact to them then we also have to be the customer's advocate in in trying to figure out how we can get better doc the next time mm-hmm. and and also while we're collecting that better doc to hopefully not let them experience the uh, the the full brunt of that problem again. Yeah. So we're all about first failure data capture and and increasing the resiliency of of ZOS such that whenever we do run into a case where the first time wasn't enough, then we go back and extensively talk with with our level three and development teams about. Uh, how the recovery worked, whether the recovery uh, was automatically collecting the appropriate kinds of data for us or all the necessary data that we needed, and whether it's also externalizing everything that it should be to either make our lives as debuggers easier or or the uh, allowing the customer to be able to figure out their own problem on their own. So one of the one of the tools that um, you guys use to help debug stuff is a slip trap, right? Yes. Can you? I, I always thought that was kind of cool. Can you talk a little bit about how those work? Oh, watch out for that stuff on the floor. Slip. Trap. <laughs> <laughs> the way I look at it. Yeah, slip traps are really. Uh, they they have a lot of really great functionality, and they they get better every every release of ZOS. I think they they get more functionality, but the the basic ways. That we could talk about slip for for days, but <laughs> the basic, the most basic uses of them are, let's say you your application was running, it got an abend OC4, and no dump was collected for it, right? But mm. you want to know why that OC4 happened, so so you can set a slip trap. It's called a um, a comp code slip. We call it a component code slip, where where you would put the I. Uh, the ABEN code that you want the system to collect a dump for, and you would also give it additional filters so that it would collect it on the time that that ABEN was happening that you cared about instead of the other hundred times it might be happening on the system that aren't related to your problem. And uh, so so that would be one case that we'd use it if, if a dump was not collected for an ABEN that we're interested in reviewing. Um, another case is is called a PER slip. It's Sort of like it's a if, slipper, but it's inside out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can only have one of these on at a time, actually, when it's per. <laughs> so it's kind of the opposite of a slipper. I don't know. <laughs> That's why I said it's inside out. <laughs> <laughs> so up is down. Dogs or cats? <laughs> yeah. So so in this, you can kind of think of it as setting a breakpoint in your code. You you would have to know which uh, which assembler instruction uh, you wanted to set the slip at, and then. You would 
you would have Slip just monitor that small range of storage. And I, I guess if we step back for a second, we're, we're always debugging kind of a mix between high-level languages and assembler. We're always looking at assembler. So I know when I was in college a long time ago and I took assembler class, I was like, who uses this stuff and why? But <laughs> then I got to my job and I was like, it's oh, me, me. <laughs> and always. <laughs> so, so I, yeah, so this is basically a, a breakpoint set on an assembler instruction or a small range of assembler instructions. And then the, the hardware will actually monitor the system based on filters uh, for when that instruction gets executed with certain filters in place and it will it will take a dump then so why is it called slip it doesn't sound like it's slipping anywhere (laughs) is it service level interrupt processing i think so many acronyms in ibm (laughs) (laughs) so it checks out to me yeah that makes sense i'm pretty sure that's it it (laughs) (laughs) but there's there's a lot of other ways slip can be used too but those those are the most the most general reasons that we as as uh, level two would ask a customer to set to set a slip uh so for that second one with the breakpoint that would most likely happen if your ab end uh, happened way down the line from where the error really occurred and so if an error occurs at point a but it's not captured there maybe you didn't check a return code way up here um, and you went on the bad assumption that it was that that whatever came back to you was good and then you went a couple lines of code down from that before you actually failed on the data that was returned then we might want a picture uh, closer in time to when that failure really happened. So we, so, would, we would work our way backwards. So as you're de- doing the detector thing... The um, what? The detecting thing. Okay. <laughs> uh, somebody's kind of kind of saying, here's where I am when the problem is. You're setting slip traps where you think the problem really is. Yes. Not where the ab end is, is occurring. Yeah, likely at that time we already have a picture of, of when the ab end is really occurring. And we either have a really good theory or or pieces of data that are telling us specifically that that we've at least gotten back this far. So there, there's there's always a reason why we would be um, why we would be doing that. You're, you're pretty sure it was Colonel Mustard in the library, but you weren't <laughs> sure it's the rope or the lead pipe yet. Yeah, exactly. Maybe maybe we know that something bad was returned to us at that earlier point in time, but we don't know what or we don't know all of the data that had been returned to us, and there's no way to get back to it. We have a lot of tricks to, uh, to work our way backwards with the data that we have mm-hmm. and find all these little save areas that, that have little pieces of diagnostic nuggets in them <laughs> but but there are always some subset of of data that isn't captured right that, that we would we would really need extra tracing or or a picture closer in time to to understand completely so this is my kind of podcast we talked about nuggets <laughs> we talked about dumps and logs this is awesome. Traps, traps, <laughs> and slipping. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we're we're always kind of peeling back the onion. It's it's never as Onions. simple. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm all about just <laughs> crazy crazy uh, crazy words today. I don't know, <laughs> but but it's it's never a simple answer, right? It's it's never I. 
oh, that advent happened right here because of this one line of code right before it that did something really bad. Yeah. So it's it's always peeling things back and then creating new theories based on that and then going back further, making new theories. It's it's all so, trying so to like, get in the mind of a computer. So, yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> you're doing this stuff. It's kind of like a real-life house. You know? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, we're we're computer detectives. D- does it ever hit you like on the way home? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. I I know I've talked to a lot of people who just dream about this stuff at night. Like, you pull a U turn on Route Nine. There's and- problems you just can't get out of your head. And I know I've had a lot of late nights with young children, right? Where I'm just like laying in bed trying to get them to go to sleep, and I have nothing to do but think. You know? So you start reading dumps so, to them. No, I don't start reading dumps to them, but I start going over problems in my head, right? Like the whatever I'm working. on on that day and sometimes an epiphany will come to you but but yeah we we're we're really uh we we take our work home with us i think a lot just you know just in our head so so you're sitting there changing a diaper and you go the dump (laughs) i don't know about that (laughs) i'm just gonna um i shouldn't identify him but his his line was always like they keep talking about standalone dumps i prefer a sit alone dump (laughs) (laughs) i might edit that out or not. Yeah, we're not. Whatever. <laughs> if you made it this far, you deserve that joke. That's right. It's a very scatological uh, episode. Oh, That's the way it goes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, um, it yeah, seems like time. we're running a little low on time. <laughs> I want to take this opportunity to thank you, Laura, for um, uh, taking time out of your day to talk to us. You obviously have a very uh, interesting job and uh, one that keeps you laughing a lot. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at terminaltalk.net. That's contact at terminaltalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence signing off. <laughs>